Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, Senior Editor at Food & Wine. And my guest today, okay, I have to say up front, this is weird not to be in person with her because usually we can spin around in our chairs at work and look at each other. That's when she's in the office because she's usually been on the road as she has been scouting out and doing all the legwork and the miles and just the hard, hard work of finding this 2020 class of best new chefs. Welcome to our restaurant editor and uh, the auteur of this year's class of best new chefs, Kushbu Shah. I miss, I miss your face too. And uh, do you want to describe where you currently are? <laughs> I am currently talking to you from my childhood bedroom in East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, ghost Spartans um, that my dad has half converted into a gym. So there's a heavy bag behind me that I think gives a lot of coworkers a, a kick when, whenever we do video calls. <laughs> I have greatly delighted in you on these video calls. It's either the the heavy bag behind you or Ina Garten and a giant Cosmo. <laughs> But it's, I mean, I have to say, like, for you to be in one place for more than a few days is a, a change for you. Massively, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, so I, I want to get into um, Best New Chefs. Am I correct? Is this number 32? Uh, yes, I believe so. It started in 1988. So yeah, and there was a year was off. Yes. Yeah. This is uh it this is it's it's a hell of a legacy. Really crazy. I mean, I feel very honored to be able to be the person to continue it on. Yeah. Yeah, I always uh so I know that there've, you know, been everybody's done it in their own way for decades and stuff and I you know, when I started really following it, Kate Crater was working on it and then Jordana Rothman mm -hmm. and you know, you've picked up the mantle of this and each person has you know, it, it's it's amazing to go back through this uh roster of chefs since the first class and look and see at the you know, the mark that they have made on American cuisine and like Geez, no pressure, Kush, but that's a huge thing. It's a huge legacy to uphold. Yeah, it's really crazy, right? When you really look at it, it's like David Chang was part of this, Daniel Ballou, like just people that you can't really talk about um, American restaurant culture today without bringing them up. And like this, you know, this um, program basically identified them like before they became, you know, David Chang and Daniel Ballou. And uh, it's exciting to think that, you know, some of the chefs from this class um, could be, you know, that big and that influential, you know, in the, in the coming years. Yeah. It's, I mean, and it's an incredible thing because it, it, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, it goes a couple different ways because it's people who are sort of already doing this work, but then it shines a spotlight on them so they can do even more of that work and that it shapes the culture even further and, you know, really gives them a platform. Um, we're having to do stuff really differently this year. Thank goodness you had finished all of your travel before, uh, <laughs> before all the, what did you, you, you were done. You had just finished everything. When the I, had just finished. I literally had gotten back from uh, sort of like a Pacific Northwest uh, run. And um, basically about two weeks later, you know, all other trips got called off. Yeah. So I had just gotten in under, under the, the, the wire. And let's talk about how many cities you visited for this. Ooh, yeah, I did 25 cities this year. That includes San Juan, Puerto Rico. Um, that includes Jackson, Mississippi. That includes sort of the middle of nowhere, uh, Los Alamos, California. Um, and includes, you know, obviously a lot of the big cities too. But I wanted to make sure, you know, that this didn't become like a fully coastal list. And, you know, we were paying attention to every region um, as much as we could. Obviously, dream world would be to get to all 50 states, but unfortunately, we have, you know, budget and, and time limitations. So, try to get to as many as I possibly could in the, <laughs> given the circumstances. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I, I saw the labor that you put into this and, you know, I saw, you know, and like I said, I've, kn I've known the people for, for years who have done this. I saw you know, the intensity of travel that Kate Crater had, that Jordana had, and, you know, the, the toll it takes on, you know, your, your sanity <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, it, it's, it's a lot of not getting to be um, in your own bed and being on airplanes and losing, you know, lo losing track of what city you're in at what particular time. And like, yes, it's obviously like dream job in so many ways, because it, it's because it's so important. And because, you know, the vast and varied, um, you know, kinds of restaurants you get to eat in, but like, make no mistake, like, this is this is some work. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I know it sounds insane to ever complain about right getting paid to run around the country, eating at like the best restaurants. Um, there are when that's literally you know the goal is to find the best restaurants and the best new chefs. Like, um, but it does sort of wear on you. You know, some days all I want to do is just sit on my couch and like eat a salad or like you know a bowl of yogurt rice. Um, and, you, like, you love yogurt rice. I love yogurt rice. Um. And kind of do nothing, you know, or like when I would have, you know, I was basically joked that my New York apartment was a very expensive storage unit, you know, because I would be there maybe four days a month. Um, so it made me really appreciate my apartment when I was there. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I'm someone I do love hotels. I love like just landing in a new city and just the immediate change in vibes and scenery and the way, you know, even just the vocabulary of the people around you, you know, you step foot in DC and it's like the terms that you hear everywhere are just so different than like LA and so different than Detroit. And um, it's just such a reminder of how incredible um, the food culture is, you know, in this country, like what, a f it's such a cliche, but like what a time to be alive. Oh, like, man. yes. It's especially juxtaposed now with like what's happening, you know, currently um, with all the restaurants having to be shut, yeah. you know, I, it's, it's just been like a crazy year in dining. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because you're, you were simultaneously doing best new chefs and best new restaurants, uh, like yeah. it, during your scouting during this. And it's, I mean, it is a heartbreaker. Uh, right now looking at all of these places and basically, you know, maybe some places are open for, for takeout or curbside, but, you know, with the, the exception of just a few states, nobody is really able to do dine-in or if they do, it has to be in a, a very socially distanced kind of way. So it almost feels like, you know, it, it's, it, it's a, it's a snapshot in time um, for what's going on. Cause I know you had to rewrite a lot of your copy to reflect what was going on. Yeah, tons of tons of <laughs> rewriting, tons of re-interviewing. Um, I feel like I spent basically the past month just on the phone nonstop because also there's no other way to report right now, right? Like I can't just like pop back over um, to someone's restaurant or whatever to catch up with them and you know see what's going on. It just has to be over the phone um, to do it safely. Yeah. You know? Oh gosh, I've spent so much time on the phone in the war that I, I'm the person who does not love the phone. And I mean, <laughs> I obviously do it for work to interview people, but like I really miss you know in person conversations with with sources and stuff. But you know, we're we're trying, and you know, and it's funny. I'll be on the phone with a chef, and clearly, like they're you know they're in their kitchen because you 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 know you hear the ventilation system, you hear whatever it is, and everybody's like having to be you know, expediter and chef and, uh, you know, prep and all that stuff all at once. So it's been, you know, as we've gotten to know this, this class, you know, seeing them having to navigate, uh, you know, all of this with extra, extra layers of, you know, just trying to stay in business and stay afloat and stay physically healthy and support the peace people around them. It's, it's so much right now. Yeah. They're incredibly resilient. Um, you know, with this issue, like I had to, uh, as restaurants were pivoting, you know, constantly, it's a word that we, yeah, we can't get. Oh, to. word in here, I think. <laughs> you know, I also, we also had to pivot a lot on the issue, like not just me, you know, like a lot of people go into making this issue, you know, so many people at Food and Wine have touched this. Um, and so Food and Wine and freelancers, like it's just like the sheer number of people that actually you know, it takes to put this together is like incredible. And, you know, there's been a lot of just constant change, but it, you know, our change hasn't, it's all manageable compared to the change that, you know, these restaurants are going through to literally just keep their businesses open and hopefully be able to just ride this out. I feel like that's everyone's goals right now. You know, like they don't necessarily need to thrive. They're not trying to be like super successful. They just want to like make enough money to keep the lights on keep some of their staff paid and like, keep their communities fed and like that's their goal you know at the moment um and it is really heartening though 
in re-reporting all of this, you know, I already knew that this industry was like just filled with some of the scrappiest, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, most, like I keep saying the word resilient, but like they really are like super determined, you know, talk about an industry that's like passion driven, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, you're not in this for the money, oh, like, God, maybe, no. <laughs> like you'll make a, you know, you'll make enough of a living, but no one is in this for the money. And to hear just like how determined and hopeful they are that like, not only will they be able to rebuild their businesses, but rebuild them, you know, hopefully they're all fighting to rebuild the industry in like an equitable manner, you know, something that was like really lacking before. Um, And, you know, we're just on the verge of like really talking about it and really hopefully starting to like fix things. Uh, It gives me a lot of hope, you know, I'm really excited and and proud of this class. So by the time that people are listening to this, so we don't have to be cagey about who these people are because by the time <laughs> yeah, because by the time this is released, we can actually uh, we can actually talk about who these these people actually are as we have been on uh, we've been doing mentorship with them over the past few weeks because that's something that traditionally has been part of Best New Chefs. I've been lucky enough to be involved with that for, for the past few years. Like sort of even before I worked at Food & Wine, I was lucky enough to be part of that. And it feels like it's more relevant this year, more more now than ever, because we would always like take them around to restaurants. Like the first year we did it, we went on sort of a crawl of three different restaurants and we had different mentors speak at different places. Last year, we had it all um, at one restaurant and, you know, but they're all sitting there like deer in the headlights because it's just been announced this morning and they're all watching their phones blow up. And then we have a party for them and, you know, and they've gotten to know each other for a couple of days. We take them to Peking Duck House and they all get to bond as a class. And we've been having to figure out what else to do to support them uh, during this time. And I keep thinking it's like those babies who were born during tornadoes or hurricanes or something. It's, you know, bring them out into the world and we're trying to support them as best we can it's just different needs than before yeah I more than ever and it really it's really crazy because I feel like you're able to really bond right when you can all come together in person and eat picking duck and like drink shit beer and you know kind of do that together but it's now they're trying to you know it's forming the bond with the class like over video chat which is very <laughs> interesting um but I hope that they're able to you know really bounce ideas off of one another. And I I think they're starting to. Yeah, Yeah, I really hope so. And, you know, the previous classes have, you know, come in and expressed to them that like, hey, we all have a group text. Hey, you know, these, the people in my class, however long ago that was like, we're always checking in with each other and, you know, more than ever. But there was something that one of the chefs uh, said on one of these mentorship, or actually, I guess it was the call before the mentorship calls where we were introducing them to each other. Cause like, we're, we're pretty like cagey here and don't tell them who else is in the class. And, uh, but they, they said like, I don't want to be part of the change. I want to be the change. And that's really, mm. who was it who said that? Well, yeah. Yeah. Developer Joseph. He's amazing. Oh. I mean, talk about so the big thing about this year's class of Best New Chefs is that we're doing, you know, standalone pastry chefs, like for the first time as part of the class, like, you know, they're not like a partner with someone, um, you know, they're not part of just a separate pastry chef list. It was really important to me to kind of break down that barrier. I think just because you work in the pastry side of the kitchen, you know, doesn't mean that you aren't also a leader, that you don't have influence on the menu. You don't have influence on how people are eating today. In fact, I think it's almost more so in many ways um, on that end. Also, when you really look at it, like the percentage um, of female to male chefs, like, right, you're often finding women in, in the pastry spaces. And so I wanted to make sure to open it up to pastry chefs to be able to be part of this um, kind of experience. Tavel is like a perfect example of this oh, yeah. too. Like his partner, Kevin Fink, was a former Best New Chef, I think in 2016. Um, but Tavel and Kevin are, they're co-owners of five restaurant concepts in Austin. Oh. Like, yeah, five, you know, and it's like, how, of course, he's a giant leader, especially in Austin. Um, you know, he cooks like a really, he has a really global approach to pastry um, and baking, but he's also, you know, part of the management team and like, you know, part about like, part of how they decide, you know, what hospitality looks like in their restaurants, part of, you know, the decision making on like hiring and healthcare and things like that. You know, he's very involved in that and he's very outspoken um, in that sort of front and a, a real forward thinker when it comes to that kind of stuff. So 
you know, it's really exciting to be able to put, you know, pastry chefs um, in this class this year. Yeah, because just to tap into history for just one second, there was one year where, or maybe, or maybe it was two, where there was best new pastry chefs, but it was, you know, often a different list. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I see so many chefs who have had to, you know, kind of fight their way to being taken uh, seriously, like pastry chefs who were, you know, maybe dismissed by savory or, or something or somehow kind of shunted off to the side. And they almost have felt like they had to fight for legitimacy, which it like breaks my heart because that is such intense skill that they have and, skill, yeah. <laughs> and, their, and their department they are department heads and they you know that just like every single decision that you know a sort of savory chef has to make they have to make as well and it's sometimes it's sort of like the backwards and high heels kind of thing uh-huh. you know yeah and so i want to i want to start getting into um this this list and the specifics of the list um because uh, you know what i have noticed that like in each year in the recent years um you know i look back at, at some of those covers and like my eyes they hurt. it's very blindingly white <laughs> and very very male and all this stuff and you know and the work that had gone into recent years uh lists had been more reflective of the america that we do and should live in and and when i finally saw all the people together on you know on this um, video chat, I was just like, ah, oh, you know, this, it looks, it, you know, it looks like the America I want to live in. And it's been, you know, moving in that direction. And, and it was just, it was so heartening and so beautiful. You have an age range in there, which mm. I think is a really lovely thing. And, you know, it's, it's spread out geographically and it's just, you know, it, it, it's such a great um, bunch of human beings. And, when you presented it to, um, you know, wider group here at, at Food and Wine, uh, you know, you you explained each one of the chefs uh, to us and why you pick them, and it, and you made us all fall in love with them too. So I want to go through this list, you know, sort of one by one, and you know, tell me a little bit about them. Um, first, tell me like the first like adjective or whatever like that that pops into your head when I say the chef's name. So, okay, Tavell Bristol Joseph. Oh man, he's like a giant teddy bear. You meet him in person. He's like six five. Um, I think he's six five. He's tall. He's a tall, big dude who is a pastry savant and like one of the uh, warmest people I have ever met. Truly. Okay, and what is his restaurant? So he is a owner of five restaurants in Austin, Texas. Um, let's you know do all the copy editing now on. on the- <laughs> so they're all in my brain. Ready, Hestia, Emmer, and Rye. Um, TLV, uh, Head and Bit, and Kalimocho. There we go. Okay. Um, man. And am I not thinking like he, how old is he? He is, uh, in his late thirties, early forties in that range. Yeah. Okay. And I love that he's in there too, because, um, you know, that phone, I remember you were, I saw you right after you had talked to him on the phone and you were saying it was really emotional because he thought he was past the point where he could be picked for such a thing. Yeah, definitely. And he, you know, he told me, he's like, you know, I've seen my, you know, a lot of my colleagues and especially like his, you know, business partner, Kevin, you know, get these honors. And he just thought he was like, I just never thought I could even be considered for something like this. Um, And so, yeah, it was a really um, emotional conversation with him. Oh, lovely. Okay. What, What do you think of when you think of Daisy Ryan? Oh, man, Daisy Ryan. What a powerhouse. Hi. Okay, well, first of all, <laughs> Daisy is one of the most photogenic people I have ever seen in our in my life. Like, if you just look at our spread, she she's like an Everlane model. It's like amazing. Um, but I love Daisy's approach to food. It's very it's French, but not in the way that you would expect it. It's very French meets California, but very laid back. She calls it French, like that. That's her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's really just like the space in Los Alamos. You know that town it's like it's just north of where she grew up and it's seriously in the middle of nowhere california um and the the main street there's one main street in this town i think the population is like 2000 i'm not recalling the exact number but it's like a small town okay and so it's one street and she has this wonderful restaurant called bells on there and it's just such a warm like warm warm spot like when you think about like hospitality and like just like you want to spend like five hours of your life like bells is that spot you know 
and you can just and- like, muscles and drink really good wine and like it's just perfect in there yeah because i was gonna say like you know that i know uh this year you were saying like you know there's there's not like big white tablecloth on on there and and this is the closest it gets right like yeah pretty much i mean you know Taval like hestia is kind of like a it's more Mm -hmm. like a spendier restaurant but you know what it's not tablecloths either none of None of the chefs are doing like super crazy high end fine dining, you know, where it would cost you like $200, $300, $500 to like eat there. Like, you know, some of them, sure, you probably need to spend out like, you know, $100 for like a really great meal. Um, But, you know, if you look at, I'm sorry, I'm going to jump down on the list for you, but like at Donnie's restaurant, um, Donnie Siri Savith in Dallas, he owns Cow Noodle Shop. Like everything on that menu is five to seven dollars. It's really crazy um, that he's selling food that cheap. (laughs) But I mean, again, this is also reflective of where we are in American dining. And, you know, (laughs) the the theme of this issue before everything happened uh, was, you know, future of restaurants and we're, you know, attacking that in it in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. But but even before all this hit, like you were sort of more thinking like white tablecloth isn't as much. I mean, there's, you know, it, it's still important in its way, but like that's not where your interest was was laying. And you definitely tried it. You definitely yeah. like did Yeah, oh, but yeah. it's but I think that's, you know, the, this list is really reflective of this. Um so let's go on to to Naven Patel. Oh, and uh, so he kind of had it harder than almost anybody else on the list for very specific reasons. Yeah. I mean, so I'm Indian American, specifically Gujarati American, which is like what Naven's background is too. So I'm particularly um, <laughs> picky when it comes <laughs> to Indian food, uh, especially Indian food in America, et cetera. So to be so blown away by his cooking and his approach, like, None of it felt phoned in. None of it felt too, like, cutesy fusion, if that makes sense. Um, You know, none of it. It was really great. He was doing a lot of kind of, like, home-style cooking, but, like, elevating it with, like, you know, restaurant techniques and, like, really superb ingredients. Like, Naven not only owns a farm, he has another farm on his payroll. And then on top of that, he, like... Uh, funds this millet farmer in India and like buys out his entire stock of fresh millet um, for one dish on the menu. And it's kind of an incredible operation. He calls his farm Rancho Patel, uh, which I think is very cute. Um, (laughs) He promised to send me mangoes when they become ripe. So I'm just saying this out loud in the world so that he has to um actually send me me. <laughs> um, actually I just I was interviewing another chef today who on on your list and I know what he's sending you as a present oh my so. gosh is a mango because <laughs> I'd be into <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what's, what's, what's what's the term that what what comes first to mind if uh, like what descriptor would you come up with uh, with Niven Niven oh man um just like truly um like he cooks from this like place like so deep in his soul like that he just he doesn't know how to do anything else in a way you know what I mean like he like this is just like truly who he is and like he cooks to just like survive as like a human like this is like what makes him whole like no matter what you throw at him like he's always gonna do this and it's really um it's really moving when you really hear him talk about just like what it's taken for him to open his spots in Miami. Yeah. Oh, so was it, I'm, I'm, I was trying to mem- remember, was it his mom or your mom or something like uh, there, there was a dish that they talked about and his millet made that possible. Am I just coming up with that out of nowhere? Yeah. No, like really, so he does this dish that I have never really seen on restaurant. That's what it and it's fresh millet that um, he tops just yogurt and save, which is like, it was like dip, like deep fried, like chickpea flour sprinkles, I guess is like the best way to maybe call it. Um, and it's just such a simple dish, but like so revelatory, like to the point where I called my mom like immediately after I had dinner and being like, I can't believe I just had this, like blah, 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 blah. And she's like, she hasn't had it since her childhood. Um, and it sort of pops in your mouth, like like vegetarian caviar in a way. Um, and really like wonderful. And it's so cool to see him go this extra mile um, to put Indian food on the menu, you know, that like people really have not seen before. Um, you know, obviously he still makes like a chicken tikka masala and stuff if you really want it. And his version is like 
probably the best you'll ever have um, just because of the amount of care that goes into it. But he really goes out of his way to like um, do a lot of like Indian home stuff, looking not just from the region of Gujarat, you know, he touches on like South Indian food and um, East Indian food and things like that too. Uh, but it's just really smart, sharp cooking. Oh my God. And now just, I, I kind of want him to pair up with Daisy so they can do a French rancho. Oh. <laughs> French, Francho. Or something. So fun. <laughs> well, cause a nice thing is like people really do develop these relationships with other people in their class. And so I know from the class from last year, they still like, they've gotten to cook together and like travel and, and do that. So I'm really hoping that these, like these people all get to do that as well. Same. So let's move on to our pal Trig, Trig Brown. What comes to mind when you think Trig Brown? Oh, man. Trig is a very humble talent. He, um, yeah, he is really self-deprecating and like not totally head on. Yeah, just how talented and just how much he really knows. Like, <laughs> I was just on the phone with him uh, interviewing him for, for something related to this. And he kept kind of like not like underselling himself or worrying about things. And I was like, that's why you're so good. Cause you're just like worrying about this stuff all the time, but you're allowed to be like, be, be a little nicer on yourself right now. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, I say this very candidly, it takes a lot for me to uh, give this kind of accolade to a white man doing like Asian, you know, Taiwanese food in particular, yep. but like, his stuff doesn't come from a place of fetish. It doesn't come from a place of, oh, I went on vacation to Taiwan and like, I'm going to open up a Taiwanese restaurant, you know, by spending five days there. Um, <laughs> and he kind of came at it because he ended up meeting um, his partner in the restaurant, um, Josh. Um, and, uh, you know, his partner is Taiwanese American and like they just bonded and like would go uh to Flushing Queens and like they would get really high and just like ride their motorcycle <laughs> to Flushing Queens. It's kind of amazing. It's like such a wonderful story. And like, you know, they would just like really sit there and like analyze all the food. And then Josh would bring things that like his mom made like over, um, you know, for Trick to try. And like he would, you know, re like he would break it down and like, you know, figure it all out. And like he just really fell in love with Taiwanese food. He actually didn't go to Taiwan until like just before they were about to open Winsun. So, you know, it's, he really is like a, a giant student of this kind of stuff. He's also like has like a lit degree. Like he's a, an incredible writer and thinker and um, just, yeah, so humble um, for what, you know, what his abilities really are. Yeah. And he, he's really, really respectful uh, of, of the cuisines oh, yeah. that he's working with. Like, you know, I called him just to quickly interview him about something for an extra piece related to this. And he got into the history of like Taiwanese cuisine in mainland China. And like, it was, it was really like he had, he had really done his homework and he was like talking about one particular condiment. He's like, I can't make it better than that. Like, you know, it was, it was, it was respectful and lovely. And I really love the moment where, oh, we haven't mentioned Winsun and Winsun Baker. Uh, when you were doing the reveal to the bigger group, you brought pastries from Winston Bakery. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I keep thinking about them. <laughs> yeah, talk about restaurants. Like, I mean, so I live in Brooklyn, technically. Um, though I'm supposed to be <laughs> Alleg- allegedly, you yeah, are my neighbor. <laughs> I'm supposed to be living in LA by now, but um, you know, obviously everything. Did- a crazy pandemic, but a lot of our coworkers who live in New York are like constantly ordering from Winsun Bakery for delivery because Trig is still just like churning out an insane amount of food. Um, and I, I, there's no posts that I'm more jealous of on Instagram than those. Like it's maybe one of the restaurants I miss the most right now. <laughs> what is, what is that rice roll called? What is the name of it? Oh my God. Now I'm blanking. Um, oh, the tech, the texture of it is so good because it's like sweet glutinous rice on the outside. It's sort of like wrapped tightly in plastic and then it's got this incredible crunch inside. And I was like, yeah, I'm making fun, a- right? I'm probably butchering how you pronounce it, but fun fun. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. And then he does. This, yes, like, you're absolutely right. Bacon, egg and cheese, scallion pancake situation. He does this, oh. this Caesar salad that I think about all the time that he uses a white sesame dressing on. Um, yeah, it's a lot of just like really clever touches uh, and really just smart cooking. Um, and, oh. Yeah, I mean, anytime you try to go to the bakery on the weekends, like there's just a line <laughs> down the block. 
<laughs> oh, I love it. So up next, what do you think of when you think of Donnie Sirisava? Donnie. Uh, <laughs> love Donnie. I've, I've not admitted this to him yet, but when I was doing his interview um, to write the profile of him in the magazine, like I had to put myself on mute because I just found myself tearing up um, at his story. Donnie, it's emotional. He's one of the most genuine people I have ever come across. Um, I'm just like so kind. Uh, and he has been dealt a very tough hand in life. Um, you know, his mom passed away from cancer. There was, you know, he's also worked every job under the sun. So his mom ran a restaurant and he grew up in that. Um, but he sort of was like, I don't want to, you know, do this. Like by the time he was like, you know, in his twenties. And so he worked all kinds of jobs, like from Jack in the box to like Hewlett Packard. Like it was his last. Yeah. It's a full range. He also told me that he worked on airplanes. Like it's like a lot of stuff. Um, he's really lives like a really deeply interesting life. Uh, but you know, he realized that what he needed, what really gave him joy in life was cooking, you know, and cooking Laotian food in particular, um, which is his family's background. And so, uh, yeah, just the, ex- I don't know, he just does such a beautiful job of like honoring his mother and his mother's legacy, but like while also, um, you know, championing and furthering uh, Laotian cuisine um, in such an exciting and beautiful way um and like his restaurant you know before all of this was also just it's a small spot but it was it packed to the helm you know i was lucky that i went on a rainy night so we only had like a 20 to 30 minute wait but otherwise usually it's like hour to two hours just to get a table you know to eat his food and you know like i was saying it's really it was really important to him that his food be very affordable so that like everyone can get in and everyone can enjoy the meal, even if it's, you know, labor intensive for him, he doesn't really pass that cost on um, as much. So, and what is the restaurant called? And where it's is called it? Cow Noodle Shop and it's in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about, because you're not rolling in there, like I am Kushbusha <laughs> from food and wine. When you're rolling in there, like you are, you know, you're making your reservations and trying to, or, or slipping in somehow because like, you know, you really want to do this ethically. And because I, I know you're a person who is you know, very much a stickler for this. And so you're going in there like, like a civilian oh, when yeah, you're doing this. Sure. Well, so what's actually fascinating, I kind of used this year as a, um, just like a test. Uh, I was just curious because I am, a you know, a woman of color and it's been very interesting to see how different establishments like sort of treat you and and sometimes I roll up solo or with just one other person or I'm meeting someone there so like you know I roll up by myself and it's very interesting to see how you know I'm treated depending on who my guest is um and like I honestly at a lot of restaurants I will just put my own name down um as a reservation like I obviously use like personal email not like my food and wine email um as so as to not alert them but um it's interesting, even these places that are very like media sensitive, like these very high end, like flashy places. Like, it, I, I remember this one restaurant in uh, Los Angeles, like very big mm-hmm. here. I, I was going to ask you about this one. I went yeah. with you know the LA Times um, restaurant critic, who by that time had been his third or fourth visit, and so you know that team was very aware of like had really figured out you know what bill addison looked like um and so you know as soon as we got in uh they sat us down and and then clearly like you know like a few minutes later like the general manager comes like running through the door it was just like so (laughs) somewhere else and like got called in because bill was here and bill had gone through this whole amazing charade of just like using the most insane alias that like like they just never guessed it was the funniest thing to witness um but you know, he's yeah, but it was obvious like when you know so they were fussing over bill but like it was obvious like when talking to us that like you know i understood what a menu like i was just asking questions that maybe you know someone um who's deeply interested in food or knows a lot about food would be asking and it wasn't until the end of the meal where they like ran my credit card that they like figured out who i was which was fascinating because a lot of other restaurants like have you know, photos of it. So it's, you know, I'm not anonymous. I'm not a critic. You know, I am an editor at the end of the day. And my photo is very widely available. You know, there's been articles and stuff, you know, that have my photo um, on it. So a very quick Google and there's lots of images of me. And so it is really just, yeah, it's fascinating to see like who, 
puts importance on that and who doesn't. Um, and I was actually able to slip under the radar pretty much 90% of the places I went, which was um, kind of crazy, but also very nice, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> well, but, but also including, so is this a different restaurant than, uh, there was one where you got seriously mansplained about the wine? <laughs> Same restaurant. <laughs> Oh, that was that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it is, uh, you know, we have to address this, the fact that you are, you know, a woman of color dining on your own and, and the treatment you get, like, because, you know, hopefully what this list and all the other lists ends up being is, you know, a, a really great treasure map around the U.S. And these are places that people are going to go and you shouldn't have to fight for good treatment. And unfortunately, you know, at a lot of places, I mean, I, I, I have a feeling that the restaurants that ended up making the list are places that wouldn't do this in the in the in the you know in the first place. But you know, restaurants are not always um, equitable in their treatment of of folks, and I'm you know, and that's really laid bare mm-hmm. in this whole process. And you know, I, and I think you know, I'm I'm so glad that you uh, brought that up because it's really really important. And I hope that anybody who has a restaurant who is listening to this who maybe treated Kush like that or, or treated anybody like that is going to second guess. Cause that's, you know, it's bad behavior to begin with. It's cruel. It's, you know, all of these things, but also it's going to not get you included on these lists. So you're shooting yourself. Yeah. It's yeah. I think people underestimate me when they see me sometimes they don't. Um, I mean, you know, Tejal Rao like talks about this too, you know, as being a female critic who's a person of color also, like sometimes they just don't take you as seriously, which is fascinating. I'm like, are my dollars not worth the same amount? Like, do you think I can't actually pay for this? Like, you know, what is like the the decision behind um some of these things? I don't know, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, my my former colleague Sarah Latrent and I used to have this thing JBCM, which is just be cool, man, and it it works in all circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to your hometown girl, yeah. Lena. Uh, oh, yeah. Amazing. What a bright spot. Well, when I think of Lena, I think of like someone who's just like serious energy. She is the Energizer Bunny. Like is like. Um, sort of thinking about things a million miles per minute has really, she's another one of the pastry chefs on the list. Um, She is someone who's just known from a young age that she's wanted to be in food. She scored her job at Selden Standard, which is basically like the restaurant that kind of helped put the, you know, renewed Detroit food scene on the map with Selden. Um, And she got her job running the kitchen there at 22. They didn't realize her age and never told them (laughs) until the (laughs) <laughs> paperwork and they're like wait you're what and she was like yeah <laughs> like at that point it was already kind of too late she'd already won them over um and so I just I love someone who's just kind of like that you know a little bit daring um her flavors are awesome she'll do things like crust with like Kalamata olives in them she mixes like za'atar and cake you know like she's not afraid to go actually very savory uh with desserts she's Lebanese American um, she wears a hijab proudly. Like, it's just, it's such a reflection of Detroit. Um, and her entire family is also very into food, which is very cute. Her dad is, like, one of the biggest food Instagrammers in Detroit. What? <laughs> What's his handle? It's F. Fariani. Uh, his name is Fred. He's a, it's kind of an amazing account. Actually, I've learned a lot about Detroit restaurants. I, like, kept me yesterday making lists of, like, places I was like I need to check out um like hopefully can check out or at least get takeout from her mom is a food photographer she actually shot Lena's photo for the magazine um which is oh very my god I love and very sweet because of course with the pandemic you know we half our art plan just ended up not working out because you know <laughs> but what a better way to get a photo than you know if you live with a food photographer so um that was really yeah really sweet and then her grandfather who she calls like the OG foodie like um has like apparently just like very like a really gorgeous farm in Lebanon and just like beautiful olive groves and like would make you know all of his own stuff from scratch and like all that kind of stuff before like apricot marmalade and things before it was like cool to like be this way um and so it's just really like deep in her roots yeah i i i just oh god when you were showing us the pictures of everybody's dishes uh during your presentation i i was just my knees were buckling it was just the loveliest thing and now that you're talking about like olives in pastry like 
uh, just like the beast was unleashed within me. <laughs> and, I, and I'm craving that so badly. Um, and also I'd said hometown girl, cause I sort of associate with you mm-hmm. with Detroit, but I know it's not technically Detroit, but it's the same neck Michigan. of the woods. Yeah. It's an, I mean, I grew up an hour away from Detroit. So I spent a lot of time, yeah. um, you know, going to Dearborn in particular. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of Detroit pride, you know, a lot of Midwest pride. So it's really nice to be able to um, recognize, like, she's just such a talent. And, like, everyone in Detroit, like, knows that, you know. But it's, like, um, helping other people from around the country also, you know, be introduced to her and her work is is a real honor to be able to, like, to be the person to kind of help facilitate some of that. It's awesome. Uh, I mean, uh, this is basically, I'm looking at this as a map for, you know, what is the road trip that I get to make once we're allowed out of our homes again? Um, oh, I hadn't mentioned it, but yeah, I'm, I'm speaking to Kushu from Brooklyn, New York. Um, or I guess I said we were neighbors, so establishing that. But, you know, I'm just plotting out my course from here. And the next place I'd drive would be to St. Louis to see Nick Bognar. Let us. Oh man! What comes to mind when you think of Nick? Flavor it to the face. It's a phrase <laughs> I keep saying. Our editor in chief, Hunter Lewis, like is always laughing whenever I say this phrase. I've gotten him like it's. I think I've said it so many times. It's now like worked into his vocabulary. We were on a call with our um, PR person for for Meredith, and he just said the phrase so casually, and I just <laughs> to do everything in my power to stop laughing. I was like, I've worked my way into your brain. Um, which is very funny. Uh, but yeah, Nick's food is just like the epitome of like just unfiltered flavor. Not unfiltered, but like just, you know, there's, he doesn't hold back when it comes to flavor. Like less is more is not an adage in his kitchen. <laughs> Am I right? Like, you know, he, um, his story is also really cool. He also grew up in a restaurant family. His mom owns a Japanese restaurant that he now also like basically runs his aunt's own restaurants um so he really came up through that but his family is he's actually half thai half white um so he cooks like incredible thai food you know often like an homage to his grandma um and then at the same time because his mom owned a sushi restaurant growing up he got really into sushi and then he like worked at uchiko and like um in texas and and some other places so he is sort of this kind of funny dual uh master of both thai cooking like and japanese sushi like his nigiri is <laughs> some of the best nigiri i've ever had so you can easily like it sounds like a crazy pan-asian restaurant you know when you like think about it but it actually makes perfect sense once you get to know nick and yeah. what's the name a lot of- what's the name of the restaurant Indo, Indo in St. Louis. Yeah. And he's kind of stealth, I feel like. Like, <laughs> like you know, sort of like the way he presents and stuff like that, it seems like, oh, he's probably not going to take stuff super seriously. And then bam. Yeah, 100%. He's very laid back as a person, but as a chef, he's a, like meticulous. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't. So I go through St. Louis usually every year because I go to speak at this barbecue conference in southern Illinois and I stop off in St. Louis. And I, uh, and this this next year, I need to book an extra day to go there because. Yeah, wait, take me. I want to go to the barbecue conference. Oh, my God. It's me. so fun. It is so, so fun every year. And it's uh, Amy Mills at 17th Street Barbecue has this every year. And it's such a great thing. I think I've done it like seven, eight years in a row. And it's just the best thing. But then you get to go through St. Louis, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, let us move on to the uh, the Northeast to Mr. Douglas Williams. What comes to mind with him? Oh man, Douglas, <laughs> you, Douglas and pasta and passion. Like I have never met a chef so passionate, like just, oh, and he has an incredible jawline. Like, we're just, <laughs> just, uh, sorry to objectify for a second, but he is a beautiful man. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, it's a very good looking class of VNCs, a lot of very good jawlines. Like I'm not going to lie. Um, I didn't actually know what every chef looked like beforehand. So before anyone accuses me of only picking beautiful people. But um, no, they're really deeply talented cooks. Douglas's story is really fascinating. Um, you know, again, he grew up with a father who was a chef and a mother who was a, a cocktail waitress, but his mom was like much older than his dad. Is a very fascinating relationship. Um, you know, he's half black, half uh, Syrian, Lebanese American, um, which is, and then, but he's like a pasta master. Like he fell in love making pasta at Copa in Boston. And, um, you know, he, it's also a master of texture, which I think comes from the fact that he grew up with Crohn's disease and had like very severe yeah. Crohn's disease. 
um, as a high schooler. And then he still wanted to go to culinary school, though, which was wild. And so then he went to culinary school and then he couldn't actually eat any of the things that because uh, he was like still in like remission and recovery um, for his Crohn's disease. So he couldn't eat gluten. He couldn't eat a lot of stuff. So he was telling me he would like chew everything to like as like as small as he could chew it to like understand the texture and the flavor. And then he would spit it out into this like oh. small trash can by him because his body couldn't handle digesting it. But like he just wanted to learn everything about it. So I think it's really shaped his approach to texture and flavor. It's like really at a, like a molecular level in a way um, that I've not really seen, you know, too many places, too many chefs like do. It's a, It's fascinating. Yeah. But really, yeah. just really great, like, pasta. And he also makes this, like, polenta, which I just kind of refer to as, like, sexy polenta. Um, <laughs> it's just like, it's like a brick of polenta. Like, you know, I don't know. You just never think of polenta. Like, polenta is such a, like, you know, hearty, like, rustic food. And so he does it. He does it. It's like a rectangle that's, like, pan fried on every side. So it's, like, super crispy. The middle is creamy. And then it just comes, like, dripping with, like, honey and um, this, like, uh sort of like a sweeter cheese it's like phenomenal it's sexy polenta yeah <laughs> i i think that's uh gonna be all of our halloween costumes if we're <laughs> allowed out of our house by then we're all just gonna be sexy polenta for halloween <laughs> um let us move here to where i am right now to new york city and unjo park oh unjo jo. yeah she goes What's the, what, what comes to mind um, quiet reverence. That's what, oh. that's what Joe, Joe is someone who is, um, comes off as like very soft spoken, but cooks kind of extremely gonzo Korean American food. Like it's like this mega, you know? And like when you are at Kawi, which is this insane restaurant in Hudson Yards, it's just this insane, like Lux mall on Manhattan's like West side. It's, freaky um, it feels really, like it was teleported in from some other planet it's really a strange entity it's a strange entity but Kaui is sort of like a really magical Kaui is like the reason to go to Hudson Yards you know I'm not sure there's many other reasons but Kaui is like the reason to go and the only reason I've ever really slept out there um and Joe's cooking is magical but when you sit in Kaui like which is a very like it is a luxe restaurant you know it's very plush and um you know she's serving things like 79 dollar kimbaps which are like you know kimbap is like a food that's usually like five bucks at like an h mart you know and it's uh basically korean sushi um but she you know does things like candied anchovies and caviar and foie and like just makes it into like such a luxe thing um but when you listen to like how her servers and how her staff like re like refers to her it's like with such reverence in a way that like it's like such deep respect. It, it's a respect you can only get by being um, like a kind uh, and generous person. Um, you know, it's not the kind of respect you can get by like yelling at your staff um, and like, you know, being like a jerk. Um, and so just the way they talk about her, you know, I, her food was already like incredible. And I knew just by like those like that talent alone you know like Kawi for me was on the fence in that sense like could it be a best new restaurant or is it like a best new chef and just hearing her staff talk about her like that is what truly sealed the deal for me like you know she has such, and you can see their kitchen is like partially open it's like such a diverse staff it's such a big staff um and she runs it so smoothly and with such uh kindness but also such you know high standards and to be able to balance both of those is uh is big yeah no, it's a really beautiful thing because, like, I remember, like, Angie Marr, one of our our best new chefs in, uh, I always forget if it was 2017, 2018, I think it might have been 2017. Uh, before I met her, I heard the staff talk about her and I thought, I really want to know this person who they respect so tremendously. And I mean, that's how you end up building a legacy. And, you know, I think we should mention that, like, Joe's restaurant is part of uh, Momofuku. So she, you know, came up through, a, you know, another best new chef who you know in recent years has chilled out from, from the yelling some <laughs> but but yeah it's it's such an amazing thing to see like with these past classes what begets what and uh you know and, and it's such an interesting thing to see how restaurants have changed from you know when when dave uh was named a bnc to where joe is and and i i'm thinking like 10 15 years down the road like does somebody who's working for her now 
like are are they going to be a BNC? You know, it's it's such a you know it's such a fascinating thing to to see like this this evolution and uh, this lineage that that happens. And it was really cute when I um I emailed him to check in about something, and I knew that he knew that she was one, and he was so so proud of her and Aww. and really yeah it was really incredibly lovely because he knows you know i'd listened to a podcast that they'd done together and you know and his awe of her is so present and it, it was just a really really beautiful thing to to hear it was just really nice oh and can we talk about shears for a second about yes. the, the <laughs> oh, love it the, the, let's can you explain what these shears are yeah so i Kawi, one of the most magical things on the menu is um, Joe's treatment of rice cakes, which they make in house, which is like basically unheard of. She has one machine that she like got from South Korea and she's like, if it breaks, like we're screwed. Um, <laughs> but they do something like 600 pounds of like rice flour that like, they turn into rice cakes like every week, which is crazy. So, but she makes this like incredible dish which is like a coil of rice cakes that's then pan fried and like tossed in this like jammy beautiful chili sauce topped with like a layer of um, ham like a super thin layer and then some like crunchy like rice bits um and it arrives to the table with you know some beautiful gold shears so you can kind of cut it you know into pieces bits and pieces um to eat and it's such a fun experience um i actually just texted joe this morning i had a dream last night that my entire bedroom turned into one of those coils <laughs> oh that's not a bad dream at all it's a good bed and like a bed you want to eat so i was like this is fine <laughs> i miss I, I would feel really good about that it's amazing what chefs do make cameos in my dreams it's really a funny thing because like I, you know we both talked to so many of them and it's really funny to i to see who shows up and what they represent in the dreams I kind of love that. For sure. I think this is just my subconscious telling me I need some rice cakes. So I need to like <laughs> eat that. Dude, we all we all need some rice cakes. Like I have some frozen rice cakes in the like in the freezer right now. And I think I, like it's gonna be such a sad imitation right now. But like <laughs> if I go to, if I go and make some, like shortly it'll like scratch like a tenth of that itch. Um, sure. But let us hop on the Acela and go down to Philadelphia to visit Camille Cogswell. Oh, come on. She's in all trades. Like, there is nothing she can't do. So, Camille's actually very interesting that she's not just like she started off as a pastry chef and she still holds double duty at Zahav's pastry chef, but she also uh, runs both the pastry and savory kitchen at Kafar, um, which is, you know, an all day cafe type spot with like dinner, you know, at night. And she makes just incredible like kubani toasts which are this it's this beautiful um layered yemenite uh bread that takes like 12 hours to bake in the oven and she tops it with things like you know brown butter ricotta and like fresh berries like tahini um like super creamy tahini um she also does it with like salt roasted beets that are just like this unbelievable magenta color you know the kind that's like your favorite crayola marker like that's like Mm. that but she gets it from the beets um she makes just beautiful dishes in the evening like this um to beat which is this iraqi chicken casserole for two it's some of the best chicken and rice i have ever had in my entire life and like that's really saying something because rice is i think my ultimate food group you know of all time like i in inevitably my cabinet has at least at any given point 12 types of rice which is a lot for someone who's not home enough to cook um <laughs> So, you know, for me to be like that blown away by a rice dish also, like it's something I truly think about all the time. Um, Yeah, total just force of nature. Also someone like Joe, you know, who comes up from under a really powerful mentor, you know, Mike Salmanov and, um, you know, but they both hold, you know, each one of their spots, Kawi and Kafar, like, you know, very much feel like their spots. Like, you know, Kawi feels like Joe's spot and Kafar feels like Camille's spot. And they've really left their marks, you know, on these places. It's, that is all of our chefs. And so is there something like a driving principle that you had in mind when you were, this is, this is not, I, I will note for the record, this is not the first time you have done this. You um, assembled, you know, lists and put in the legwork for, for Thrillist before and, you know, and you worked other places. Did you have some sort of mantra guiding principle framework um, in mind as you were going around and scouting? Like, do you have any notion of like how, how many 
different places you had to go and um and how did you what did you have in mind you know I, I think it's really important i say this a lot um you know to a lot of my coworkers and sorry for them to hear repeats all the time but you know I, the food being delicious is not enough you know obviously that's like the baseline right your food has to be like like stupid good you know the kind that you have to text everybody about immediately like that is the baseline but like to become a bnc you're not just cooking incredible food like you also have to be an incredible person who respects your staff, respects your community, um, ideally respects the environment. You know, you're thinking about equity um, across every facet of the restaurant industry and like doing your best to create like a positive work environment and like doing your best to create something that's not just ego driven, you know, doing your best to think about things beyond just the food that you are serving you know on the table to the customer um it has to go beyond that and in a way that it is tough you know like i'm not sure that was a burden placed on previous classes um but i think to be a best new chef today you have to embody all of that you know just being an incredible uh talent in the kitchen is not enough you know how are you treating the people that are in the kitchen with you um that speaks just as much you know as as the food that you're putting out on the table so um that was like a huge huge thing for me you know i also wanted to again you know pastry chefs it was really important for me to like break down um that wall you know that to show that like pastry can have just as much leadership and just as much you know forward thinking um abilities as you know savory chefs um and then you know, I mean, obviously Jordana did like a wonderful job of, you know, of diversifying these lists, you know, the last couple of years. Um, but diversity, you know, was also just like very important to me and, and not just diversity for diversity's sake. Like this is really just, I just think it's more exciting, you know, to have um, this kind of cooking and to have cooking that is like accessible for, you know, readers to get to. It's not something that you have to like you know, try and find a seat at, you know, a year in advance and like, you know, pay like hundreds of dollars, you know, for a hotel room and then like thousands of dollars for flights, like, you know, just to be able to like have one dinner, you know, if it's inaccessible um, to people overall, like I also found that to be like a really uh, difficult thing to to overcome if you're, you know, running that kind of place. So, you know, all of these spots, like, sure, you might need a reservation, you know, but do you need a reservation a year in advance? Like, no. Um, but they're all spots that I think you can get, you know, it is worth getting on a plane for though. Like that is also a baseline for me. Like, you know, would I want to get on a plane to eat at one of their restaurants? Like the answer is yes. Um, and I literally did. So. <laughs> oh my God. When we are back on planes, like I'm just imagining everybody like on the plane, like gripping this issue <laughs> and, and using it as their map to go around the U S because I think we are all emotionally starved for that kind of experience of a restaurant and, you know, it, and, and the people in it and the, the, um, the communications that you have with the people who work there and having somebody pay that kind of care to you. I think, you know, those of us who love restaurants so dearly, like are, I think more than ever are, are valuing the people who, who work in them. And, you know, and I'm hoping anything that comes out of this is that people, you know, regular diners are going to understand the humanity of, of the places that they're going more than ever before. Even the people they can't see, maybe they'll listen and realize like, okay, yeah, it's not just like the person on the poster or the person whose name is on the menu or whatever, but there's a whole crew behind every single one of these restaurants and people. And I just want it to be even more appreciated and, I don't know where I'm going with this, but God, I miss restaurants. <laughs> restaurants too. Yeah, deeply. And I hope, you know, that um, if everything sort of had to burn, you know, the way it did, that, uh, you know, we're able to rebuild a restaurant industry that is equitable, that is fair, that um, does take all of these things into account. Otherwise, I'm not sure it's worth, you know, I'm not sure it's worth bringing back no. restaurants the way that they were overall, you know? I agree. I people talk about the new normal. I'm like that wasn't working out so well for a, a lot right. of people. But all of these chefs, like you know, when you really talk to them, I like I had the privilege of um, talking to them about what their hopes for the future are, and all of them, you know, 
it's very clear that this type of work is like a big priority, you know, diversity, health care, um, you know, citizenship plans, you know, for their undocumented staff, um, you know, em- embracing like technology, um, cont- um, continue work, their immediate, local, their immediate local community, but like, you know, charity, you know, charity, you know, charities, you know, charities and, and well-funded people to like um, help feed people that, you know, struggle with food access. Like these are things that they talk about as their visions for the future. Um, and, you know, I'm excited. Uh, to see the futures that they built. Cool. I mean, I am so too, because again, when I've had the privilege of being able to look at their faces all together on a screen and that just, you know, I really, really hope that this is the future and that, you know, folks of all different uh, just experiences are given the capital or, you know, somehow given access to the capital to realize this because, uh, you know, we're all stronger if the more of us, you know, the more voices that are included in the song, the more, you know, the richer and more beautiful it is. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see what comes out of all of this. And uh, I want to ask one last question here, which is what you were doing was was intense. Like I saw you, I think I texted you a lot and slacked you uh, with you a lot while mm-hmm. we were on the road. But it, um, you know, it's hard I, I travel, I always thought of myself as traveling a fair amount. It's nothing compared to what you do, what, you know, what, what you've had yeah, to you do, but <laughs> nothing like what you, uh, you know, have had to do. How did you take care of yourself while you were on the road? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I'm being really honest with myself. I learned a lot of lessons this year that, you know, if I'm able to do this next year, you know, ideally in, in the same capacity, who knows, given the current state of things. Um, what the restaurant industry will look like, you know, by the time scouting comes around again, um, and if it's safe for me to do it. But um, I learned a lot of lessons of like what not to do, and you know what to really prioritize. So you know I'll be taking those with me. But things that did I found to be really helpful um, was you know I would make sure to keep in touch with my family. You know I found that or like FaceTiming with family and friends like. Um, I was lucky to, in most cities that I was going to be able to like meet up with, you know, a friend or a cousin or someone that I knew. So in a way, it was really nice to be able to get to see, you know, people that are spread out around the country that I don't always get to see in person. Um, But at the same time, like just having like I have a couple friends that really ground me and like my family really grounds me. And so making sure to like find time to speak with them every single day, um, you know, was really, really important. Um, I also always took time uh, to watch like really terrible shows, like the kind that <laughs> you brain I I, I am delighted <laughs> by your taste in television. <laughs> I have terrible taste in television. Um, in that, like, I will just watch all kinds of like Real Housewives, Vanderpump Rules, like. If it's Bravo, like I just want it, like, uh, and so yeah, the more terrible it is, like the better. Um, and so I watch a lot of that. Um, you know, I found that when I worked out, like, I my mental sanity was a lot better. I didn't do as good of a job of it, but it did really help when I did do it. Um, and then also just like you know, things that were really important were like a really good pair of noise canceling headphones. You know, on the plane, like it made a world of a difference. Um, and also just making sure I wasn't you know, checking in on Slack and all that kind of stuff constantly, you know, asking for extra time on deadlines because like, you know, I just got off of a five hour flight and I have to run to this restaurant and I have to do this and this, like that I can't file this thing tonight. You know, I might need a couple extra days, like, and not being afraid to like ask for that space, um, I think really made a huge difference too. Oh my gosh. And I hope that uh, so while we're recording this, it's uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, everything is going to drop, and I've been checking in with a few of of the BNCs and just saying like, you know, tomorrow's going to be really intense. Give yourself the emotional space to be able to uh, to to really enjoy this and the fruits of your labor. And so, Kush, I'm going to say this to you too because you know I've seen friends uh, through this, both on the editorial side and on the the BNC side. Like, I hope that you're in a place where you're going to be able to really fully, you know, look at 
all this work that you've put into it and see, uh, you know, that this list detonate out into the world and all the ripple it's had. And, you know, I know we're living through difficult times, but I feel like the ripple of joy that this is going to put out into the world and into communities that need it and toward people who need it is going to be a really seismic thing. And so I'm so excited for you. Uh, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate all of your support too. Like, it's been really nice to have um, such supportive coworkers and and people like you that I can just text, you know, when, when I'm stressing out. <laughs> well, I hope tonight you are able to, uh, you know, have some chill and rest. And because, like, boom, this this thing is going to go online. I think nine a.m. So, but actually, yeah. So of course, yeah. by the time everybody's listening to this, this will have already happened. But. Go to you know foodandwine.com and see all of uh, Kushbu's beautiful writing about it. Check out our Instagram because we we've had uh, the chefs record videos for this, introducing themselves, and we've had to ask a lot of different things of them than we have uh, been able to you know to do in the past years because they've had to do it themselves or get somebody around them to uh, you know take photos and videos and stuff. But I, I hope you know you'll like how it's presented online and you're going to get to know these people a lot better. So would you tell the people of Kushbu Shah how they can find you on social? Uh, you can find me at Kushan OJ on Twitter and Instagram. Um, there's a story behind that, but at Kushbu handle, I will. But till then, it's at Kushan OJ. That's K-H-U-S-H-A-N-D-O-J. Yeah. And then you, the, this is all going to be in print in the July issue, which actually drops mid-June, but it's all going to be on foodandwine.com. So please follow along as all of this is is dropping and cheer on these these wonderful, wonderful humans who, uh, you know, Kushpo has uh, assembled. And, you know... Thank you to our producers, uh, Jen Martinick and Hall Hallie Tarpley. Thank you to our photo editor, Sarah Crowder. And, you know, this is all part of Food and Wine Pro, which is a section on Food and Wine where we're really talking about um, the people in the industry and the mechanics of the industry and, um, you know, how they're all, and right now, about how they're all being affected by this pandemic and just really trying to be of use to the industry and, um, you know, and sharing lessons that we have learned along the way. There are going to be mentorship lessons that we have shared with the class of best new chefs. You can find that by going to foodandwine.com slash fwpro. And you should also sign up for the newsletter, the Food and Wine uh, Pro newsletter, which um, there's a very prominent link on the page, but it is written by our editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis, and um, with some help from me and from our associate restaurant editor, Osepa Burr. And we compile all of the biggest news in the industry every week. So you don't have to go scrambling around for it. We've got it all for you there. And we've also got a weekly meditation from our in-house meditation instructor and uh, test kitchen goddess, Kelsey Youngman, who we share the same um, mantras that she drops at our Monday morning meeting. So, you know, the most important thing through all of this um, you know, Kush and I were talking there about like how to take good care of yourself, like while you're on the road. So I hope you listen to that. I hope you internalize some of that. And I hope you take good care of yourself.